Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by a guy I wish I were better friends with, John Margalit. John's the CEO of Togali.com, T-O-G-A-L-L-Y.com, and Towelmate, which are his recent endeavors. One thing you should know about John, though, is he is a serial entrepreneur and has launched numerous startups ranging from a financial services business, which went from zero to a million dollars a month, all the way across the board to consumer packaged goods. He has over 12 years' experience in startup business development, everything needed from marketing to fundraising, and has an awesome track record. And one of the things that's impressed me the most is hearing about how he puts teams together, how he gets financing, and his philosophy on building businesses in general. We've chatted a few times, and I always find talking with him insightful and interesting, and so I asked him on the show for you, our listeners, because I know I've learned a lot from him, and I've enjoyed our conversations, and I know you will as well. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, my friend? Thanks for having me here. I was really excited to do the, the interview with you. I'm, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm excited to provide a lot of valuable insight for the listeners. I know. In fact, that was one of the things everyone who's listening to this should know. He was like, Daryl, I want to make sure that we make you know we make good use of this call and give as much value for uh, value for the listeners as possible. And you're very adamant. You've been very adamant in the emails and in everything and setting this up. So I know it's going to be a great, great call. And you have a lot of value to give. I mean, it's not even something I think you have to try to do because you've already accomplished a lot of big things. And you, you just, you know what I mean? It's almost like if a guy is really ripped at the gym, he doesn't have to worry about being a good role model. He just is one. And I think that's kind of the situation here where just by being able to pick your brain in that, there's going to be a ton of value drops. So, but one of my questions I would like to start off with is, you know, before you had a business that you grew from nothing to a million dollars a month, I mean, how did you even get started in business? I mean, did you grow up dreaming of doing this or, or like what, what got, yeah, what, what started? Yeah. So I always, um, I knew one thing in life. I just didn't, uh, I didn't want to work for anybody. I, I always, um, you know, I just never liked being told what to do. I don't know, from an early age, uh, I didn't like structure very much. I always like to go out and do my own thing. Um, when I graduated from college, I had a, a degree in business from San Diego State. I went off and I looked for an opportunity. And uh, to make a long story short, I found this little sandwich shop that was a failing business, but it had very good food. The problem was, is that it was run by a Vietnamese family, a very nice, hardworking family, great people, uh, but they didn't speak um, English very, very well, and there was a disconnect in the communication. Meanwhile, this place was situated in a very affluent area. So the customers came in with a certain expectation that wasn't met, um, and the place was a little bit dirty and things like that, but the, this family did a great job with the menu, and the food was awesome. So it had a little bit of business. Um, so I saw an opportunity... And um, they just wanted out. Uh, they were in a very bad lease, and there were there were other things uh, in the business that were very challenging. Uh, so I came in and I bought the business for five thousand dollars. That was that was it. 
Um, I had an eBay business in college, and I worked at the at the local uh, mall, and I had a full of uh, load in terms of um, credits in class. So I was I was very busy, but I had saved some money. I bought this business for five thousand dollars, and um, I had a vision of standing at the cash register and ringing people up all day while you know my employees were making the food and things like that, and and then I would you know I would have a very successful business. In two short weeks, Daryl. Uh, I found out that it was the exact opposite. I was cleaning the bathrooms. I was making all the sandwiches. I was mopping the floor. I had to paint the place and clean the windows. You know, so I ended up being a janitor and a, and a, and a sandwich maker, basically, is what I'm telling you. Right. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, exactly. Um, and if I wanted to hire people, uh, I figured out that I'd be losing money. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was miserable for about two years. There were punk kids telling me that I didn't put enough mayo on their sandwiches and or the bacon wasn't crispy enough and things like that. Um, and, it, you know, it, it wasn't what I thought. But uh, I was able to actually turn the business around uh, within a couple of years and sell it. And I didn't make any money on that business, but I broke even, and to me, that was a victory. Right. Right, yeah, at least you didn't lose anything. And you gained all that knowledge. That's That's so true. I mean, I get so many people who have MBAs that come to me and ask me questions that, for me, you know, because of the experience, I think are elementary. But there's something to be said for, like, real live street, like, in the trenches knowledge. You know, you just, you almost can't buy that education. You just have to pay for it as you go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, I learned that uh, getting a bad grade in school is one thing, but losing your money, that's a whole different story, right? So, um, yeah, so that business taught me a, a ton, and uh, it also taught me that to be very careful about uh, the, the businesses that you pick and choose to, um, you know, to go after in life because, yeah, there are many opportunities. And if you – I think that the biggest problem most entrepreneurs make is that they guess, um, mm. you know, and instead of testing things – and something that my, my grandfather had taught me a long time ago – uh, and that he had reinforced after this business failed was that when you buy a brick and mortar business, there are certain things you should look for. But instead of looking at the books, what you really want to do is you want to sit in the parking lot for a few days and you want to see how many people go in and out with banks. Um, that's really how you judge a business like that, uh, because anybody can make books look good. And I'm not saying that anything was doctored, but um, if you sit in the parking lot for a couple of days, and you don't see a lot of traffic, you don't see a lot of people coming in and out uh, holding something that they purchased, then that's your first indicator that it's probably not a good business. Mm. So uh, that's something very simple. And you know, if anybody out there is looking to buy a franchise or a brick and mortar anywhere, uh, that's my advice. Go sit there and literally you know, just stake the place out. Right. Right, yeah. I mean, if you're going to invest five, fifteen, fifty, five hundred thousand dollars in a business, you should really spend some time getting to know the customers, who they are, and exactly like you said, just like experiencing it from the consumer's perspective. Even if, because because even if it is a good business to buy, that is such a fresh perspective to have. If you're going to come in, you want to fix it up in any way. The best way to fix it up is from the client's perspective to make it deliver better value or right. Just make it more convenient or whatever that is for them that it needs to be for them. So no, that is awesome advice. And you know, what's really funny. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but I, I did, um, I just did some uh, marketing funnel for a buddy trying to help him get a date. And we were kind of like laughing about it because it was just like a little pet project. And he's, anyways, he was in a long-term relationship and I don't know, he just 
he didn't think he had a lot of options. I was like, here, man, let me help you out and do something. But what was so funny is because we were just running ads on a dating site to drive them. Like, it was just nothing super fancy. But it really, it was so funny because it was so targeted for him and I knew him and like what he was and I knew his previous relationship. I felt like when I was helping him design the funnel, I was just coming from a place of extreme empathy and you know, I, we're, we're, we haven't launched it yet. So he's, he's making a couple last videos, but I feel like it's going to be a resounding success. And I, I almost like, I'm laughing cause I feel like if he finds like his life partner, like I'm just, I'm laughing cause there's going to be some sort of business in that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, what you said just really struck a chord with me because for me, the one thing I got out of helping him with that project was I was like, I am so empathetic. Like I know him and I know the client, like, you know what I mean? I know what he's at, like, and I just so intimate that way. And even what you said, just sit in the parking lot and watch it. And that's just such a more intimate way of really being able to experience the business. And then even what I was saying to that, like, if you want to improve it, you want to improve it for the end user, because ultimately they're paying everyone. They're paying your salary. They're paying your staff's salary. They're paying the rent. You know, it's kind of like tax money being contributed to something, but it's what they're spending for what they're getting. So that's a great, great tip. Now, I want to ask you about something, because I know you're great at building teams and you you started to touch on it thought maybe going a little bit deeper but you noticed that you were doing everything at the company you were the janitor you were making sandwiches and i don't think it's been like that for you and your other businesses now so what's what's the difference well yeah so so just to just to finish off that story i was able to build a team actually there um and, and the other reason why is because i figured out the marketing i, I sort of call Every business, there's there's a code, and to me, the code is the marketing. And once you find a successful way to market your business, I call that cracking the code. Mm. So I was able to crack the code, and the way I did that is I literally, this was a neighborhood place um, on top of a mountain where there were no other commercial uh, centers there to, to go to, to to purchase things. You had to go all the way down the hill to buy anything. And so I walked all the way up and down the hill to hundreds of homes, knocked on the door personally with flyers and said, hi, my name is John. I'm the new owner at the store. And uh, I'd love to have you come in. I know that in the past you might have visited. It didn't meet your expectation, but I will personally be there to serve you. I've cleaned the place up. Uh, We have some things added to the menu. And when you come in, I promise you, you're going to have a great experience. And so when people started to come in, and I saw them, and they said, hey, you know, I remember you knocked on my door, and thanks for coming, and this and that, um, and we built that business up, and when the cash flow started to increase, I then was able to hire more people to, to help, mm-hmm. um, but what, what I think is most important, and the reason why I was able to build my business to a million dollars a month in sales is in my next business is because you can have a great business model, you can have a great business plan, you can have a great idea. But if you don't have great people executing, it means nothing. It's worth zero. And so, um, you know, the, the key is is to bring in the most talented people you can and to sacrifice. And one of the things that you need to do, um, obviously, is to lead by example. And the strongest way you can do that is to actually pay yourself either less money or right on par with what the other people are making. And I know that sounds, that might sound ridiculous to people, uh, but I think uh, Peter Thiel alluded to this in his latest book, Zero to One, um, is that, you know, sometimes uh, in life, it's actually, you're, you're going to make a lot more money in the long run if you sacrifice early on. And so there are two key things. 
Number one, everybody knew that I wasn't making more money than that uh, to, to start off for the first couple of years. And number two, I always told people that we are working together. So nobody worked for me, they worked with me. I think that was really the key in getting everybody on board. It got everybody to buy in. We all saw each other as equal. But at the end of the day, they knew if there was an executive decision to make or if there was a stalemate in a vote, I was going to go ahead and step up and make that decision. Everybody trusted it. There was never a question. But everybody felt together. Mm, mm. I like that. I like that a lot because it's – well, it's, it, it kind of speaks a bit more to the flatter businesses that we're seeing in this kind of era that we're in. And exactly like that, it's not you barking from the hilltop orders out and cracking the whip. You're you're like a general in the trenches with them. So now I really like that. So so for you, it was about the equity play, essentially. For you, it was the equity play and the exit. That's where you wanted to make your money at. The salary was just to kind of cover your, your living expenses or roof and ramen, a buddy of mine. Actually, I did an interview with him here. But roof and ramen is what we used to joke about in our earlier days. Is that kind of correct? You just need to make sure you've got food and your roof kind of taken care of and then you want to build the business and you make your money on the exit. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. And you can raise your own salary later on. I just think in the beginning, um, it's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And if you can go to people uh, that, that are on your team and say, look, there's a certain amount of money coming in from our sales. There's a certain amount of profit coming in. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to take the profit and put it in my pocket. I'm going to take the profit. I'm going to invest it back in the business. And when I say invest back in the business, I mean invest in you. Because if you think about what a business really is, it's a bunch of people, right? So I said, instead of taking this and buying a fancy car or take some sort of exotic trip, I'm going to take this money and I'm essentially going to invest it back in you. And that's when you start to see people really buying in and you start to see camaraderie on a whole other level. Because you can talk all you want about team, and you can have all the workshops and the team exercises and, and trust building you want. But when you take that money and you put it right back into your people, it will pay back a hundredfold, I promise. I love that. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, essentially, that's it. Especially, you know, this has come up on a couple of different calls. Um, where is this? I, keep, I try to keep this handy. What you're just saying there is so important because the definition of entrepreneur in the dictionary is a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses. And what it doesn't say is it doesn't say is a person who answers the phone and makes the sandwiches and cleans the bathroom. And right. <laughs> and I got that from Brad Martineau, an interview we did with him. And I love it. Every time I hear him say that, I'm like, that is so brilliant. And that's essentially what you're saying. You're investing in the people you've organized to execute the tasks that make up the business. And so by investing in them, they feel valued and appreciated and recognized. People crave recognition more than money. And honestly, that's probably what they're getting more than anything out of when you reinvest it back in them, you're acknowledging them and their efforts. And that just leaves them feeling warm and fuzzy inside. And like they have yeah. a place they belong and that they're good at something. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny. Um, I recently had a debate with somebody of the definition of entrepreneur. I'm glad that you brought that up because I'd like to tell you what I think that the word really means. So a lot of people, number one, if they're trying to start a business or they've been in business, but they haven't actually turned a profit yet, then they're just pernewing, right? Because entrepreneur means that you run a business and have made a profit. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that um, 
you know, I see a lot of uh, multi-level marketing MLM structures out there with skincare and other products. And somebody who's close to me is involved in one. And I see her posting on her Facebook page all the time, you know, become an entrepreneur and run your own business and join the team. And I had a problem with it. And every time she would post something, it would eat at me more and more. And finally, I called her and I said, look, entrepreneurs innovate things. You can be a business owner and a very hardworking person and run your own business. And I have, I have ultimate respect for that. And so the analogy that I use is that if you buy a franchise, if you buy a Subway sandwich shop, you're a business owner. You're, you're, you're a hard worker. You're, you're, you're running your business for a profit. Fantastic. But you didn't innovate anything. They do all the marketing. They did the branding. They came up with the menu. You know, so for me, I, I, you know, I find a very, um, it's a touchy thing for me because I feel that the true entrepreneur is somebody that innovates. Somebody that creates, somebody that disrupts what's going on, not somebody that jumps in, you know, to the stream that's already going one way and just starts swimming with it. That's not, mm. to me, the true entrepreneur is somebody who creates. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I agree definitely. I think that I've always felt there was a difference uh, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that you, you kind of define it yourself because you're in it and you don't see yourself as another person. But I've always had a different level of respect for the person who starts something from scratch versus someone who just sits in a pilot seat and takes over the helm. You know what I mean? Because there's just two different, I mean, and, and they're both the art of business. And so it's not necessarily that one's more, well, I guess you could argue the startup is more important because without the startup, you wouldn't have the mature business. But you know what I mean? Like they're both important roles, but I definitely get what you're saying. I mean, the entrepreneur is the visionary who sees an improved solution to a problem and that, you know, that, that, that solves a problem for a group of people. And that's why they get to go into business. I mean, ultimately, right? That's exactly it. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so uh, that's all. It was something that come up recently, and and no disrespect to the person who buys a franchise or anything. Those, in fact, sometimes those people end up working harder than anyone else, and and it, and it's great. There are many different ways to make money, um, but I just like you said, it's that it's that person that really has their eyes open and says, "Here's a problem, and I'm going to go innovate a solution, um, and and I'm I'm going to try to change the world a little bit." That to me is the epitome of a real entrepreneur and that's just my definition yeah no i'm i'm exactly there with you we're in lockstep on that i think that that's and you know i don't know if that's always frustrating me because i feel like i can see that but a lot of people i feel i don't know if i i thought i felt that was different when i was a kid because i was like why does everyone have this victim mentality because for me if i see a problem i go find a solution i fix it but for a lot of people they just kind of scratch their heads and you know they just kind of stand around like some a tree fell and blocked the road and they're just trying to you know, well, there's a tree in the road now. I guess I'll sit down and play cards. And that's just always been frustrating right. for me. So let's talk about some of the other things that you wanted to make sure that we mentioned. Is there anything else you would add to building these teams? Because that's such a critical component. I mean, there's no way you're going to do a million a month without a team behind you that can support that sort of activity. I mean, that's that's a full-blown enterprise at that point. That's not like a lifestyle business or a hobby business. Like a million a month, I mean, you've you've got... Yeah, you've got, I mean, depending on... Well, we had 100, yeah, we had like 90, 94 people uh, under one roof, you know, at, 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 our, at our height, at our peak. Uh, so, no, it was a serious business. It, it sort of turned almost into a mid-size business, not a small business. You know, I think with the, with the team building as well, um, I never check references. Um, I, I barely look at a resume. 
I just think that those things are irrelevant because anybody can uh, point you to somebody who's going to give them a nice reference. And I think that anybody can put anything on paper. You can Google, you know, great resume and just copy it. And I don't have time or, or um, you know, the, the bandwidth to check on these things. But what I do is um, I'll hold a really uh, extensive interview. And there are certain key things that I will ask people. And I'm going to share one of them with you because to me, it, was a, it never failed. So what I did was, is I had certain questions. When I would hire salespeople, one of the questions was, what's your favorite color? And what I'm really looking for, the answer is green, right? Because I want people that are motivated by money. Um, what I found, which was really interesting, Daryl, is that I would ask people uh, who their role model was growing up and who they looked up to the most in life. And I, you, you get answers all the way from, you know, the president to, you know, whoever it may be. But there was one thing in common that I found. People that answered one of their parents, my mom or my dad, they always were successful and stayed with me for a long time. And so in the, in the interview process, if you didn't answer mom or dad, um, I typically just discarded that person right after the interview. And I think it's because when their role models were their parents, it means that they were raised right. And the people that were raised right seem to have better values. You know, I built a finance business and we were selling people home loans and insurance. And that's someone's most important financial decision uh, in their whole life. That's their greatest asset is their home. And so when I built my team, I wanted people with very strong values and that, you know, were good listeners and that could understand uh, people's needs. And I always, it just it never failed. If you answered mom or dad, you were shooing to be successful. That is awesome. I love that. I was writing. I hope you don't mind if I was slightly distracted. I was writing this down. <laughs> no, Can you repeat okay. those two questions again? Who was your role model growing up and who do you look up to in life? Were that the two questions? No, that, that was like one uh, question, you know, and, but uh, the other one is, what's your favorite color? Right. And uh, believe it or not, most of the strong salespeople, the majority would say green, um, you know, and, and that's, that's the answer I was looking for. Now, that's just for a sales uh, position, you know, but, uh, but the, the role model question was, was the main one. I would always think again, and if the answer didn't come out the way I wanted at that resume, just pretty much went to trash. That's awesome. So salespeople have to like the color green and anyone else, or even including the salespeople, they need to say their role model growing up or who they look up to in life is their parents. That's awesome. I think that you're hitting on a psychological thing that, that runs really deep. That is very, very interesting. I am going to be pondering, chewing on that for a while. I like that a lot. <laughs> I do. I like that a lot because it's, yes, it's a simple yes. thing to execute, but the implications are profound. So, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So what about hiring people? Like, how do you justify hiring someone when you know it's going to cost the business money? Like you mentioned in the sandwich shop, how did you justify that? I mean, even when you have more marketing going and you had more customers coming in, you're still only making, you know, blank dollars a month, but now you're going to hire sure. people and they're going to share in the profit. So how do you, how do you justify that? Or how do you calculate that? Sure. So uh, a couple ways. And, you know, I want something, I want to make something clear for everybody. There's only one thing that matters in every business and that's sales. That's the only thing that matters. If you have money coming in, you can tweak everything else. You can tweak customer service. Um, you can tweak your products. You can tweak your services. But if you have sales, uh, then you have a business. So my, my, what I did was specifically in this sandwich shop, it was like a small market. 
there was a large space in the shop that was underutilized and uh, was taking up space, but really wasn't generating any profit. And I had a, a, a neighbor, uh, in fact, he still lives next door to me, um, that was running a dry cleaning business. And he came and visited me, and I told him about the struggles. And he was a pretty successful entrepreneur for years, had this dry cleaning shop in his family for many years. And he said, look, why don't we buy a dry cleaning spindle? You know, when you pick up your clothes and they hit the button and it goes around until your number comes and they take your clothes off the rack on that big spindle. Right. Yep. He said, let's put a mini one in the back of here and make this a pickup drop-off for dry cleaning. So essentially, um, there's, if you wanted to do your dry cleaning, you had to drive all the way down the hill, like I mentioned. And so he said, imagine people coming in the store. They would get their deli meats, their sandwiches. Uh, we had fresh produce. We had a, a huge wine selection there. And then they could pick up and drop off their dry cleaning so they wouldn't have to go all the way down the hill. So he said, let's put a spindle in here. Every morning, um, I'll come and drop off the day before uh, uh, dry cleaning, and, and, and then I'll pick up whatever you have from the evening before. And all you have to do is tag it and put it in a bag, and that's it. I'll do the rest, and we'll split the profit. So I said to myself, wow. So the, the strategy was add more revenue streams and profit centers to the business, uh, crack the code on the marketing, and get the sales up. So every time a customer comes in the store, you want them to spend money on as many places as you can. You need as many upsells as you can, similar to a, an online sales funnel, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing. And so customers got conditioned to come in, buy meat by the pound, pick up their wine, drop off their dry cleaning. And then, of course, you get them to buy their candy and chips and whatever other upsells you have at the register, just like every other place. Um, and I started to realize that the that the average ticket every time somebody walked in the door was increasing by 10, 15, even 20%. Mm. And so that's how I got that business to be profitable. Um, first, I knocked on doors and got the customers to come in. And then I said to myself, every time a customer comes in, how can I get them to spend more money in my store? And uh, thank God my neighbor was, was very helpful. And it was really his idea, but it worked like a charm. In fact, you know, this is eight, nine years ago. And I went to the place a couple weeks ago, and it's the same person that bought it from me. The business is thriving, and he still has the dry cleaning. And apparently, he said it's the most profitable part of his business. That's awesome. You, you're right. And I, I want to take a second here for the listeners, and I hope they're taking notes. God, I hope they're taking notes. But um, you hit on something that's really, really important. I mean, first of all, when we talk about fundamentals in business, there are only three fundamental ways to grow a business. And that is to get customers or more of those customers to get them to buy from you more often and to get them to buy more from you when they buy. That is it. You can get them to buy from you. You can get them to come back again and again and again, a.k.a. become a regular or a multi-buyer or a repeat buyer, and you can get them to spend more money when they're with you. And you just walked us through how you did each of those things. And that's a really powerful lesson that I hope the listeners take, take heed to. And please, if you need to, listen to this interview again. Listen to a lot of these interviews again. There are some real gems here. And think about how can you apply this to your business. I love how you talk about cracking the code because that's a forever been a debate. And I'm a marketer and I'm a little bit biased, but a lot of people feel that, you know, marketing, being the 
marketer of the company is the equivalent of being a franchise player in sports because exactly that. Because until you've got consistent and steady sales, you don't need full-time staff. There's no need for whatever equipment you need to fulfill on the order because there's no orders there. But at the same time, you know, we know too many people who are too good at selling or too good at marketing and they can't back up their promises. And ultimately that leads them to failed business careers and some, in some cases even jail. I just love how you talk about it cracking the code because it kind of is. I mean, once you've, once you're able, you have steady, repeatable, predictable kind of income coming in, or at least a volume of sales, you can, you can work on growing it. You can work on getting more sales. And if your product is maybe a 101 version, you can come up with a 102 version or a premium or a platinum version of it. So I just love that analogy because it's, yeah, once you've got like, once there's cash flow, which again goes back to, you talked about sitting in the, the parking lot, like, are there people coming in and out of their buying? Because if there are, and there's enough of them, then you can implement a strategy to have them multiply themselves, right? By get by referring their friends, or you can try to, like you said, get them to upsell other things or solve more problems for them or something, but you need that heartbeat, that lifeblood for the business to exist. So yeah, that's really, really, really powerful stuff. Awesome. So, Let's talk about one of the other things then that you wanted to make sure that we mentioned, and that was about getting funding because for a lot of people, and it depends, I want to put a caveat into here because I personally am more of the, we used to call it bootstrapping, then there was a book called The Lean Startup, um, but for me it's forever bootstrapping, and, and I think, I really believe in that, and, and it kind of comes back to your cracking the code, that until you've got the business can afford itself, you don't really have a business, and so... I want to, we're about to talk about how to get funding, but um, just a while ago, I had a conversation with a friend that mentioned that, you know, they had plans to start a business and it all revolved around getting a loan for $10,000 to buy some equipment. Like they already have an iPhone. They don't need, they don't need a $6,000 can't like, so I just sure. want to put the caveat in there that we're going to talk about how to get money, but you know, first of all, can you talk about where you think like, maybe that should be a good segue. Should I get money for any reason? Like if I want to go get money, is it just about getting money? Does that make my business a success? Or are there some key places that you may want to invest that more often than not? Um, can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Sure. So I actually agree with you. Um, the bootstrap main startup is absolutely uh, the way to go. And in fact, when you get money, if you get funding from an investor, you actually probably want to tighten up the straps even more. Investors want to see people that can take a little bit of money and go a long way with it. Anybody can get a million dollars, throw it at ads, and get customers. That's not, that's not what investors want. They want you to take their money, penny pinch, and stretch it as far as you can and get traction. There's an old thing. Traction speaks louder than words. Mm. And so... What I love about what you had said before you, you segued into this is that the whole idea of bootstrapping um, is to get that initial traction. Uh, if you're going to raise money and you've got some sales or you've proven your business model and you can say, here's the machine, I've already proven that the machine works. And when I say the machine works, I mean the cost to acquire a customer is less than whatever the, the, the gross sale is. So it, so it yields a, a, a profit. And I can go scale this now because I've proven the machine works. That's all you really need. That's what investors want. When, when you look at it, I'm going to put my investor hat on for a second because I too am an investor. And when I look at a deal, I want to see something that the entrepreneur has de-risked, right? De-risked. That's the, that's the main point here because... 
um, if I'm going to put my money in, I want to know what all the risk factors are, and I want to know that the entrepreneur has has figured them out or has very good answers, and that, that my risk is going to be limited. And if I already know they have a well-oiled machine that has proven to yield some sort of profit margin at the very smallest level or scale, then I'm more confident that they can grow it. Right, 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 right. So eloquently said. I love that. Again, it talks to, I, that was the question I asked my friend. I go, all right, say you get the $10,000. Now what's your plan to make that $10,000 back? And that's almost exactly what you're talking about. Like there has to be an elimination of risk. It can't be a gamble. If I've got, if I've got a hundred thousand dollars, why am I going to give it to you for any reason other than you already have something that's making money. You have a vending machine that for every dollar you put in, you get $2 back and you just need some extra money so that way you can just get to bigger numbers faster versus taking my money and going and playing and experimenting hoping that you can create something like that. Is that correct? Would you agree with that? I mean, I know that there's probably some people that they're, they're fine in high risk venture capital. And, you know, and as long as you've got a solid track record, they'll give you some money hoping that you can go create that asset. But, you know, for other people, they just want a safe place to put their money and where they know that they're going to get it back. No, I think that you're right. I think that you're right. Um, and, uh, you know, there are different types of investors and investment vehicles for lower and higher risk. Um, there are people that are just in the idea phase that don't uh, actually have a product built or any sales yet, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the the point here is that um, you know you want to spend the least amount of money possible and get the most traction. And just because you get funding, that's not a a, a green light to go spend money. Um, it is in a way as long as you're methodical about it. And you do your testing in small chunks that are controlled, um, you know, and an easy way to do that is, you know, for example, if you're running some Facebook ads for your product or service, you know, spend, you know, if you, you spend 50 or $100 max, get some data, analyze it, see how it's going, and then go back and do some more. Don't spend $1,000 right away just because you've got $100,000. Yeah. Um, the, money, the money can go a lot faster than people see. Then, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's pain I mean, in our voices talking about that. <laughs> yeah, I've raised uh, millions of dollars for my own businesses and other people that I've consulted for. And I got to tell you, uh, the money evaporates. Yeah, uh, so, and, and, you know, and when you take other people's money, you have a fiduciary responsibility to report back to them on a quarterly basis, usually at, at minimum. And show them where every penny is going. And if you, you know, if you can't responsibly do that, then you probably shouldn't be getting the money in the first place. That's right. Nope, I agree. So well said. Again, guys, please take notes and and turn this into some sort of action. Don't just know it, live it, breathe it, and implement it in whatever it is that you're doing. So, John, let's talk about this. So, I've got a business. I've got some stale sales. I've got steady recurring sales. I know if I could just hire and train up sales reps, or maybe I just need to train up more staff to help so I can take on more volume because I've got so many sales. I'm turning people away. Whatever it is, I feel like I've got something, and if I just had an injection of cash. I could re- eliminate a roadblock to growing a bigger business. Like, how do I fundraise? Where do I find people with money? How do I ask? How do you ask someone for money? Like, how does that conversation go about? And, you know, what what would be your suggestions on this? Sure. And that's actually, um, you know, what's funny is that I ran a workshop on how to pitch investors, but I figured out very quickly that 
most people wanted to know how do I find investors? So, you know, so they were thinking, yeah, we can get the pitch down, but then if we don't have anybody to pitch, then what's the use? So uh, that's a very good question. So first, I'm going to answer how do you find the investors, um, and then I'm going to answer, you know, the second part is how do you how do you pitch them and what do you say to them? How do you ask for money? So the first part of the question, believe it or not, um, I just closed uh, over a hundred thousand dollars. I'm raising money right now for my business, Toggly, as you mentioned before. It's an online marketplace for people to locate and hire photographers. Um, and I, we're, we're in a Series A round of over a million dollars. And I raised over $100,000 from cold emailing somebody on LinkedIn. And what I did was I just typed in angel investor in their internal search. And I saw who was connected to me. Um, because angel investor is something that people put in their profiles if they're serious angel investors. And I sent a message and I said, Hey, um, you know, here's my track record. Check out my uh, LinkedIn profile. I have an exciting uh, venture. And without giving any details, I always use the word this, T H I S. And the, the, the title or what I leave them with is you don't want to miss out on this. And what that does is it creates an open loop. Right. And so when people looked at my profile and said, Oh, this guy looks like he's pretty successful. He has a nice track record. He has a lot of recommendations and things like that. Then they think to themselves, Well, what is this? I want to find out. And next thing I knew, um, the guy invited me to his home. Uh, we had a very nice meeting. And, uh, you know, like I said, there's over $100,000 in the bank already from this person because they were excited about the opportunity. Uh, so LinkedIn is a, is a great, great place to start. And the next thing I do is I go to as many networking events as I can. Um, you never know who you're going to meet. I bring a bunch of cards and I really work the room. Uh, I try to talk to as many people as possible. And my business partner laughs because if I spend more than a couple minutes with somebody, uh, I'll ask them, hey, are you an investor? Did you bring your checkbook today? And if they say no, I'm, I, I literally say, all right, great. It was, it was really nice to meet you. And I move on. Um, and, you always, yeah, and you always laugh, but I, I literally do that because I'm on a mission. And if that person can't help me, um, you know, I'm, I'm nice and, and respectful about it. But I quickly move on because uh, there's a short period of time where you have to get to as many people as possible. That's number two. And number three, there are angel networks out there. You can, they're, they're in every community. There are angel networks out there. There are incubators and accelerators that if you do a Google search, um, you can find them. And I do quite a bit of pitch competition. And I've won quite a few of them uh, and won over tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so I apply to these pitch competitions and I go and I present. And there's a panel of angel investors that you can present to. Um, you know, locally here, there's Pasadena Angels. There's Tech Coast Angels. Um, you know, Orange County Angels, there's Archangels. There's a bunch of them. If you go to crunchbase.com um, or angel.co.co, there's a list of these uh, angel networks. And all you have to do is apply. And they're very, very receptive. The application process is tedious. And, and it, they make you work for it. But just get in front of these people. And they have quite a few events as well. Um, so LinkedIn, any networking, business networking that you can get to, and then literally apply to the, to the angel uh, groups 
and um, you'll get in front of the right people. That is awesome. That's some great resources. And there's a couple of things that I loved about what you said. First of all, you said that you join pitch competitions. And what I love about that is, one, it sounds like you're going out and just pitching stuff. And I don't know, you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. And, you know, sometimes these things are so serendipitous just out of having a habit of doing something. So it sounds like, I mean, they're a lot of times you're doing these pitch competitions, but you don't necessarily desperately need the money or anything. It's just, it would help. And so, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I could be totally out on left field, but I just, when you said that, I, to me, that's what I envisioned. I saw you as doing this as part of a habit for success, knowing that you want more money to help grow and scale your business. So you enter whatever these things that you can. Um, and I just love the competition aspect because that really just... It, that part, you will have a better pitch no matter whether you win or didn't. You would have a better pitch after the experience versus if you just approach these angel investors in an isolated manner. When you get up and you have some sort of pitch competition, I'm guessing you get to see other people's pitches or you at least find out how you ranked up and you would be able to connect with these people. And one, that on its own might be a good way to network and find other investors if you're getting to meet other people that are looking for funding as well. Am I on to anything with anything that I've said there? Or was that uh, you're, you're 100, yeah, 100%. You're right on the money. And when you when you apply and, be, and get accepted to these pitch competitions, um, you will see anywhere from three minutes to 15 minutes. 15 minutes is a long time. Um, and so if, if most of them are three to five minutes, and you will see about 10 others pitching as well. And if you uh, – I love what you just said, Daryl, because if you can nail your pitch in three minutes or less, then you really know your business. What we, what we say and when I, when I mentor people and coach people on their pitches, um, if you can't tell someone what you do in three minutes, then you don't even know, right? You, you don't even know what it is. So right. when I teach seven, eight minutes, I feel like it's like taking candy from a baby. I go in knowing I'm going to win because I finish in three minutes and other people, you know, at seven or eight minutes, they're struggling to cram everything in. And even in the ones that are three minutes, I try to finish in a minute and a half to two. And, and that's always a great way to win these competitions. And sometimes afterwards, people will say, you know, you were, you were real fluid and you, you nailed it. Um, great job. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, because I practiced for hours right. to get that to one and a half, two minutes. I didn't just get up there and do it. It's all about the practice. And, you know, and I look, it's like, I, I look at these gymnasts in the Olympics. And they do their floor routine, and they just nail it, right? But when you you see that two minute floor routine, you're like, wow, this person is super talented. But what you don't see is the four years they they took to practice to get it to that point. And so, you know, if you're going to get into these pitch competitions, we're extremely valuable in finding the right investors and getting in front of the right people. Make sure you're ready. Make sure your slides are ready. Um, you know, and, and and because that's what it's all about. You can find the right people, uh, but if you're not ready to communicate what you do very concisely, then you're 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 going to fail. I love that. In fact, to add to that, I've been blessed, and that's part of why I've created this podcast. I've been blessed to know people who have built businesses that have done over a million dollars who are millionaires themselves or people who are world-class at something. I've been able to meet a phenomenal number of world-class champions, Olympic athletes. And one of the things that I learned, and I wish I could accredit one person with telling me this, but at some point it dawned on me that these people aren't training to go and show up at the world championships and hoping someone 
will ordain them world champion. They're training and preparing to show up and already be the world champion. That's just the day the world finds out about it. What that means is that all like before they show up there, they already have the most optimal daily routine that you can have to perform that sport. They have the best training. They have the best coaches. They have the best network of peers. All these things that they had to align in their life so that way when they go to that competition, they already are the best. And that's just the day everyone gets to see it proven. You know, and then then you can't dispute it. And that's one of the things that I loved and that I feel like I've really learned. And that goes back to other calls where we've talked about it's about your day-to-day habits. And even about the book Think and Grow Rich, because in Think and Grow Rich, there are 13 principles that it would be, it would behoove me, uh, wait, I don't even... I don't know if I know the proper definition of the word behoove. I should just choose it, but it would. I strongly <laughs> it encourage. Right. I think I'm, you're on the right track. I, I, I'm notorious for like using the words with wrong definitions, but it's fine. So, <laughs> but I encourage you, even if you don't think in that, like think and grow rich and this sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know if you get all those 13 principles working for you, you are going to be so much closer to your goal than if you didn't, because of exactly like you said, you practice for hours and hours and hours in advance. You had it down. You, I don't. I I don't know. I just, I love how you presented that. And I just think that that, I hope that that was a good way to expand upon it because anyone listening to this call, it's not, you can't sit around and wait and be like, well, you know, if someone would give me a million dollars, I would, of course I'd be able to build a successful business. No, that's not how it works. Someone will give you a million dollars when you have a business that's already successful. So you can mm-hmm. ensure its success and make, build it into a legacy that lasts for generations. You know, people have this wrong mentality. We talked about money and how it comes and goes so easily and so fast and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money can disappear very quickly. It's just the way it works. I don't know how that works, but it just works that way. Um, um, yeah, life is just notorious for that. But what you can like when you if you know how to manage your money when the numbers are small, I mean that's the same thing. I mean if why it's why so many lottery winners are, are bankrupt because they have bad money management habits. And so just because they win a hundred million dollars doesn't mean that they're gonna know how to take care of it and they lose it or squander it very, very quickly. If I snap my fingers and gave whoever is listening to this call right now, if I snap my fingers and gave you a body that looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger's and is in his prime how long would you be able to keep and maintain that before you just went back to the, you know, to the shape you're in now? And that kind of speaks to what you're saying. And that's why I even articulated and wanted to talk about how you were joining pitch competitions, you were networking people, you're seeking out, building that profile. That's awesome. Because I want, I want the people listening to this call, if you need money, you need to be taking these down as action steps and behaviors and habits that you need to have for yourself, for your life, for your business, so you can be a better, more valuable person in your community, to your family, and to, the, to your employees and staff. Do you have any other tips for us, John? Like, what happens if someone's getting frustrated, if they're getting shot down a lot, or, you know, they're just, I don't know. It sounds like, it sounds like getting an audience, it wouldn't be difficult if someone were actually dedicated to it, but... Well, you know, it's funny, um, even I, and, I, and I'm, I'm so confident in what I do, I'll argue with people that there's nobody better at it than me. Maybe some people are as good, but in my mind, I think that I'm the best. And I think that you sort of have to have that mentality. But with me, uh, as many successes as I've had raising money, I hear no all the time. And one of the things that um, I do, and I, and I encourage everyone to do this, um, usually the no will come in an email. And I have a folder uh, in my Gmail that says, you know, no's. And I keep putting those no's in there. And I do it for a reason. It's because 
it's so much motivation. And sometimes I'll tell people in a very nice, respectful way. Um, I got to know uh, from from a, a very high level angel investor that I have a really good relationship with that I thought was a shoe in to give me money for this business. And he said no, uh, and very politely in his email. And for whatever reasons he had uh, outlined, and I emailed him back and I said, hey, thanks so much for the opportunity and the time to share this uh, with you and the consideration. Uh, I want to let you know something. Um, I am so excited about the chance when I'm going to have to email you back or call you and let you know how wildly successful this was and how much you missed out. And I'm putting your email that you just sent me in a folder of other people that said no, so I can take this basically and shove it down your throat when it is. And and you know and 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 he actually emailed me back and said that he felt that only the people that had that sort of moxie and got motivated by no's are the only people that can actually succeed. Wow. Um, so I take all the no's, I save them. And I, I cherish them. I keep them real close, and I and I look at them all the time, and it just pumps me up so much because I cannot wait for the day that I'm going to get to reply to all of them, probably in one big email, and say, hey, guys, guess what? You totally missed out. <laughs> I, I, you know, that's another thing, motivation. Everyone, some people, everyone, lots of people want to pretend that we're all motivated by only positive things. But I've done so much in my life just because people said I couldn't or in spite of others because I didn't want to be limited or put in a box or have them be right about who they thought I was. So I love it, man. Whatever you need to fuel your fire, you know, it takes a lot of fuel to get to be successful in business and get this stuff off the ground to hone and develop the skills. I'm nowhere. I don't want to make it sound like I've arrived. I mean, I'm just an entrepreneur like everyone else listening to this. I've had successes and failures and, you know, I'm on to my next one. And after that, I'll be on the next one and it might work or might not work. And it's just the game we play. That's what we're in this for. But it's a lot of fuel, and it's just like trying to get a rocket ship to escape Earth's velocity. You can't cheat the energy that it takes. You need that much fuel. And so wherever you have to pull from, pull from it. Um, I love that. I love that, man. There was another thing you wanted to talk about. You are talking about how to kind of get into retail, how to get into big box stores. How do you get in Walmart? How do you get in Best Buy? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you approach and how do you pitch those people? How do you get that access? What are they looking for? How, like, can you share with us a little bit about your experience and what you've learned about that? Yeah, so I've sold my products to many major big box uh, retailers throughout the years. And um, yeah, I think that there's one uh, key thing. It's sort of like the investor pitch. You have to understand who your audience is. And in, with investors and buyers, you're going to be doing the same thing. They're very busy. They only have so much bandwidth to look at. Investors will look, be looking at deal flow, different deals. And buyers will be looking at different products. And there are zillions of people just like you that are vying for their attention. And whether you want them to write you a check for your business uh, or whether you want them to start carrying your product, it's really the same situation. So again. What I recommend doing, and uh, I have a course on this that, that will be coming out soon, and we'll put a link on your website, Daryl. Uh, I'll offer some of it just for free, uh, or maybe even all of it for free to your listeners. Um, but the key is a very concise pitch deck. And whether you're pitching your product, which I call a product deck, or you're pitching your business, it's the same thing. Um, and I write an email to these people, uh, to the buyer, saying, 
you know, this is your next big product. And again, I use the word this. And I attach a four to five slide deck that basically says, here's the product. Here's the problem. My product is the solution to this problem. Here's why your customers are going to love it. And then the last slide is, here's how I'm going to merchandise it. Because if you're selling the big box retail, the key isn't selling to them. It's getting your product to sell through. I've had many products that have, have, have been on the shelves of some pretty big, you know, major retailers that never actually, customers never picked up and bought. So people think that getting in the store is the challenge. It's not. A lot of buyers will give you a text. The real challenge is getting the customers to buy your products because think about walking into a Bed Bath & Beyond. Think about how much noise there is in that store, how many different products, boxes, and, and different things are vying for your attention. Um, and, and so. You know, if you don't have packaging dialed in and you don't merchandise the displays properly, you're never going to sell through. Um, so, so those are some things. But I make my email to the buyers or the investors uh, about one to two sentences max. I leave them with the word this or I'll leave with the word this so that they want to know what is this and they want to open up the attachment. And then the attachment is something that's very concise that in probably a minute and a half to two minutes or less. They can get what it is and get excited about it. That's awesome. What were the slides again? Can you say, because you were very specific. You were like, the first one is this, the second one. What were the slides? Sure. So the first one is, uh, you know, this is my product. This is the name of it. And, um, you know, just basically, this is what it is. Uh, And then the second slide is, here's the problem. So, for example, I, I... has one that was wildly successful for a car seat cover I designed for one of my towel products. And so the first slide says, here's the towel car seat cover. The second slide says, here's the problem. You walk out of the gym, you're all sweaty, you want to sit on your seats in your car so you can drive away, but you don't want to get the sweat all over your seat. That's the problem. The next slide is, here's the solution. It's the towel car seat cover. It hides behind your headrest, you unzip it, and then a towel unfolds over your seat. You can sit down and not worry about anything. And then when you get out of your car, you can roll it back up, put it in the hidden pouch, and you can throw it in the washing machine after a few times. That's the solution. And then the, the next slide is, here's how I'm going to merchandise it in your store. Here's what the box looks like. Here's a diagram I made so that customers understand what it is and how it works. There's always an education element to a new product. I've already thought this through. And then typically what I'll do is I'll go to the store and I'll take a picture and then I'll go supplant or Photoshop a 3D rendering of my display inside their store. And I'll say, hey, look, I already know how it's going to look in the store. Here's a, a picture of your store. And here, here's what the display looks like. That and bring awesome. it to life for them. Yeah, I literally bring it to life. That is awesome. So, all right, so we've got a product slide, a problem slide, a solution side slide, and a monetization plan, essentially. Yeah, or more, more importantly, you can call it, I like that monetization plan. Um, I think packaging merchandising is for buyers specifically. That's what they're looking for. How can I make sure that this product is going to sell through and have you thought about it? Because the buyers will will help you, but they don't want to figure it out. They want you to figure it out and then they'll help you optimize it. Man, this call has so much value and so much content in it. Um, I like that. I had a question, but it's, I just had like a brain fart. It just escaped me. It's okay. It'll come back hopefully before the end. Is there a question I should have asked you that I haven't asked you, John? No, I feel like you, um, you know, you're really in tune to this. 
your recaps of everything that I, I presented are, are so on point. And I feel like, you know, we should probably um, look to close up soon only because I think that we've given a lot of um, information. I don't want to do the information overload. But before we do, I want to mention something. I have a podcast that's going to be launching very soon called Millionaire Mentors. And you can go to Mentors with an S podcast um, or it's Mentor Show, excuse me, dot com. Um, I think they'll both actually direct to the website. And uh, I'm going to be sharing a lot more stuff like this on a regular weekly basis. And the whole point of the show is that I'll have millionaire guests on that will share their struggles and how they overcame them and give a lot more helpful tips like I'm sharing with you today. So again, that's mentorsshow.com if you want to get more great stuff like this. Awesome. Perfect. So that's mentors, that's plural, right? With an S? Correct. Got it. So mentorsshow.com to hear more from John and some of his millionaire mentor friends. Um, is there any other way people can reach out to you? Yeah, actually, um, the, the, the best way also, um, just go ahead and email me direct. Um, you can email me at uh, john, J-O-N, at toggly.com. It's T-O-G-A-L-L-Y.com, J-O-N, at T-O-G-A-L-L-Y.com. I'm happy to answer questions. Uh, you know, if anybody has anything specific on pitch decks, I do teach courses and do other things. Um, so, you know, if you need help or you need coaching, uh, go ahead and let me know. And then, uh, of course, if you want to find out more about my show, I can tell you about that too. That's awesome. So, yes, yeah, so John, J-O-N, at T-O-G-A-L-L-Y.com. Um, definitely get in touch with you. John, thank you so much for coming on our call today, for sharing this information with us. I think you covered some huge things and especially just even the importance of really being able to present what you do succinctly in three minutes or less because sales and persuasion and just being able to communicate clearly what the problem is that your business solves is something a lot of people are missing. And so thank you for helping our listeners get a little bit wiser and a little bit closer to accomplishing their own goals and building their own seven figure business um so thank you thank you man absolutely thanks for having me on i really enjoyed it uh, daryl and i look forward to coming on again soon you've reached the end of our interview now first let me thank you for listening i appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know and now i'd like to ask you a couple of questions first what three lessons did you just learn what three aha moments just jumped out at you second What can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success, so please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.